Fred, after editing Django Unchained, did you think you'd be working with Quentin Tarantino again? I mean, I, I dreamed that I would. <laughs> we, we got along really well on Django, so, so I'm not going to say that I was surprised, but you know, I, I also don't like to look a gift horse in the mouth. Like, it, it was, Django was a terrific experience, a movie that I absolutely loved, and, uh, and getting to work with him was great. So uh, when this movie started, I hoped that I would get the call, and indeed I did, and I was thrilled to get it. You did? Okay. Do you remember the day that you got the call? Oh, completely. Well, I mean, I, I actually went out to dinner with him, uh, or we, we, we went to, to a Mexican restaurant for margaritas, uh, nice. and, uh, he's, and he's like, all right, first things first, I want you to do the movie. And, uh, so, so big hugs, and, and follow, followed by lots of margaritas and Mexican food, followed by a Paul Mazursky double feature at the New Beverly Cinema. Oh, nice. Um, so uh, it was a good, good way to kick things off. Okay, very nice. Yeah, shots for everybody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, pretty much. So we, we understand that while editing um, The Hateful Eight, that I believe after every, like, last edit you would blow it up to 70 millimeter so you could watch it why do it that way and how how tough was that to have that happen every time so so the movie was shot on 70 millimeter film mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the we screened the dailies the the work picture uh, on, on on film at the end of every shoot day and as we were editing um, as I was working with Quentin at the end of every day I would turn over the sequence that we'd been working on to my assistants um, who would then conform the the 70 millimeter work picture to match my edit in the computer and we would then screen that on a weekly basis usually on Wednesday afternoon we'd go to the DGA theater theater number one and watch it projected on 70 millimeter it's a beautiful theater and uh, it was really inspiring um, I think I think when we initially did it there might be some concern that, uh, there, there was some concern that Maybe we're going to see things in the frame that we haven't seen on the Avid, so uh, like on the computer, because it's such a big frame um, that we need to be aware if there's anything uh, we should be concerned about. Um, but what ultimately ended up happening is, uh, for the most part, um, there wasn't a whole lot of spotting things that we hadn't seen. It was more just feeling the movie washing over us in 70 millimeter was tremendously exciting and it really inspired us to like to, to keep going it was we were under uh, some very tight time constraints um, and uh, and it was such a pleasure to get to do these screenings and see how great this movie was turning out um, that, that uh, yeah it really helped keep us going it was great well I know with Django Unchained I think he had you look at it on a little monitor and I think you were you said just jokingly with all due respect please I, I would no 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 that, was, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't Django uh -huh. that was that was uh, Inglorious Bastards ah yes okay um, uh -huh. uh, I, Quentin invited me to a rough cut screening, okay. um, and uh, and it was going to be on the Avid. And and uh, and and when he called, I, I said to him, "You're putting me in this terrible position because on the one hand, there's no movie that I want to see more than Inglorious Bastards, <laughs> as as a as a Jewish guy, <laughs> a movie about Jews killing Nazis. Like this is this, there couldn't be a movie that's more up my alley. Sure. Um, but uh, so on the one hand, the, the, I, I I couldn't be more excited to see it. On the other other hand, you're asking me to watch it on a 35-inch standard definition TV monitor. <laughs> like this right. is this is this is going to be kind of painful. <laughs> and and, uh, and and he said to me, "I feel your pain, <laughs> but know that you will actually potentially have an opportunity to have an impact on how the movie comes out." <laughs> and I said, truthfully, you really think I was going to say no? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> How much time were you given to cut The Hateful Eight?
It's a really good question. Um, I, I, <laughs> wow, I should really know the answer to this. Um, it, it, I, I think it was about four months. Um, okay. Uh, well, uh, sorry, four months from the end of production. Um, I was on the movie. Uh, like I started editing the moment, like on day two of shooting. So, um, so, so I, I was actually on the movie from January through, uh, I, I, I guess, uh, early November. Um, so that's ten months, right? Sounds like it. Something like, uh huh. Yes, ten months. <laughs> okay. So ten months from beginning to end, but that includes the sound mix. Um, like we finished editing the picture. Uh, a, a, a month before uh, the 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 uh, before we finished with the entire process, um, which was I, I think I want to say the second week in November. So is that normal for especially a movie of this length? Is that a normal time frame? Uh, faster than normal? It's I, I you know what? It's a little faster than normal. Um, mainly because the 70 millimeter of it all, um, because we're doing a 70 millimeter film version, they had to do a film finish where the negative was cut and the, 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 the print was photochemically color timed um, and they needed to make prints. And the lead time for that is, uh, I think it's approximately six weeks. So it was six weeks less that we had time to edit. Um, so it did crunch the schedule a bit. Um, uh, and and did up up the pressure that we were under. Got it. Okay. So your mentor and Quentin Tarantino's uh, former longtime editor Sally Mankey had a quote where she said, "It's all emotion, impulsive and instinctual. Just follow the character's emotions." Do you believe in this philosophy as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so when you're cutting, and especially with with a film with such long takes and all of the talent that you're using, how are you working with the different edits? Because you had so much to work with with these different actors, mm -hmm. but how are you? How are you deciding? You know, because of these long takes, and how long is too long? How, what's too short? Um, so, it, it truthfully it depended on the sequence. Mm -hmm. um, it depended what the sequence was trying to do. Um, if if we had all of the actors in the frame at, at at a given moment, everyone who we wanted to see. We could hold as long as we wanted to, especially you know, given uh, given the clarity of the image, um, and and uh, so so, um, so so the challenge really became determining um, when it will be actually effective to cut to something else. But uh, you've seen the movie, I have. Okay. Yes. So so the sequence that ends. Uh, the first act of the movie, where Major Warren uh, tells General Smithers what happened to his son. Right. Um, mm -hmm. There, that sequence is very specific in terms of uh, the editing style because, for reasons that will that become clear at the beginning of the next chapter, we're not seeing all of the characters in the room. We're really only seeing three. Um, we're seeing Major Warren telling the story. We're seeing General Smithers listening to it, and we're seeing Chris Mannix occasionally interjecting. Um, but uh, and I guess we see Bob at the piano, but <laughs> um, but no one else do we see. Because that's part of the mystery that's going to unfold at the beginning of the second act of the movie. Right. Were there any um, scenes that the two of you felt were just too graphic that you should be taken out? Uh, nothing that we felt should be taken out. There, there was uh, there was a little bit more to the flashback section of the sequence that I was just talking about. Right, right. Uh -huh. um, the, the stuff with Major Warren and General Smithers' son, where uh, we had we had 
we used a, a little bit more footage than you see in the finished movie, and we kind of felt like, ah, uh, we went a little bit too far here. Let's 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 pull this back a little. But that's really it. Um, as, as you're probably aware, having seen the movie, we didn't hold back too often. No, no, I, I, no spoilers. I don't want to give it away. But yeah, I, it was pretty clear what was going on. Um, but in making those decisions, how much deliberation are you going through? I mean, are you really just kind of running it by other people, or is just the two of you in a gut instinct and moment just saying, I think we'll cut that? To be honest with this movie, um, we didn't really have any of those sorts of issues where we felt we'd gone too far, um, with the exception of the one thing that I just mentioned. Um, I, I, I think uh, Quentin and I have very similar senses of humor, mm -hmm. and we frequently find ourselves <laughs> cackling like hyenas at, uh, <laughs> at, at, at the most hideous and appalling violence in the movie um, okay. as we're putting the stuff together. Um, so it, as long as we were amused, it was all good. Django Unchained was a different issue. Um, we did have stuff where we had to pull back because uh, there were a couple of sequences in the movie that were uh, a little traumatizing to the audience. Um, the, the Mandingo fight uh, followed uh, about 15 minutes later by the scene where D'Artagnan the slave is being eaten by the dogs. Those were both really rough sequences and it took the audience something like 20 minutes to a half an hour to recover from those sequences. And so with that movie, we, did, we, we cut deeper than we had originally intended to because we could feel that we'd lost the audience because the sequences were so effective. Um, with this movie, we really didn't have those concerns about anything. I don't doubt that there will be people who will find the last scene of Act One to be traumatic, um, but they also have a built-in recovery time. So, um, what, what with the intermission. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, the, there, there was nothing really that, um, beyond what I just said that, where, where we had to hold back in any way. What do you love about your job? <laughs> what don't I love about my job? I mean, I, 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 I get to work with a, a legendary filmmaker who is one of my favorite filmmakers, um, who uh, is incredibly gifted and uh, is making exactly the kind of movie that I want to go see. Um, I mean, that to me, that, that's, I really consider myself to be blessed. Um, I've gotten to work on so many movies that are my favorite types of movies. Um, I love westerns. Um, I've, I got to work on two of them in the last year. Um, th this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge thrill to get to do this and to get to, to get to craft these performances and to help tell this story working with this filmmaker that I have so much respect for. I mean, I pinch myself on a daily basis. Um, it's, it's really an honor. When you look at the initial rough cut that you've created for The Hateful Eight, any other films you've worked on, how hard are you on yourself? Like how much do you kind of cringe and then come back to it, refine it again, more cuts? Or are you pretty forgiving because you know this is just the initial piecing together? Um, no, I am not forgiving at all because, because I know that this is what I'm going to be presenting to Quentin Tarantino the first time he's going to watch it. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, really, I, I really go above and beyond to make the sequence the best that I think it can possibly be. And <laughs> there's, there is nothing more disheartening than when I've gone through all of that trouble and Quentin comes in and says, actually, I'd like to do this this way. And, I, and I, I look and I'm like, 
oh, that's exactly how it should be. Why the heck didn't I think of that in the first place? <laughs> but, um, but, but by the same token, there's nothing more thrilling than having him watch something that I've done for the first time and just like react with glee to every moment in the sequence. So, nice. it's, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. So it's kind of an, uh, an emotional roller coaster ride only because you want to turn out amazing work. Absolutely. And, right. And no, I mean, uh, you, can't, right. you can't afford to slack off sure, sure, <laughs> when, sure. when you're working with a filmmaker of that caliber. Absolutely. What other editor's work do you admire? Like what other films that you were just your favorite where you just loved the certain cuts and how they would dissolve a scene here or there? Um, I, uh, there, there are a lot. I, I, I probably my go-to, my go-to go favorite editor um, is going to be Paul Hirsch, um, who, if you're not familiar with his resume, uh, Star Wars, Blowout, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible Four. Like he's, he is absolutely brilliant. Like, uh, and and an editor who clearly had a, a great impact on the projects that he took on. Um, I, I really admire the work that he's done, and you know, if I if my career ends and I have a resume that is half as impressive as his, um, I would consider myself to be a very lucky man. What advice would you have for someone uh, wanting to become an editor, possibly can't afford college, maybe they would just learn from watching YouTube videos, which I know there's a plethora of information from children online that you could just learn all sorts of interesting little techniques. Where would you suggest someone start and how can they actually get in the business and start either interning or working? Uh, um, that is a good question and it's a tricky one to answer. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, the, 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 Obviously, they have like you learn by doing. Mm -hmm. So edit everything you can. Um, when I, when I was in film school and I decided that editing was what I wanted to go into, uh, I made it a point to tell all my friends that that I want to be an editor. Um, this is what interests me the most, and I um, and, and 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 so I started working with their films and editing uh, editing as many films as I could. Um, when I then made my way uh, up the ranks as an assistant. Um, working for Sally Menke, for example, uh, she would give me scenes in, in, in like the movie All the Pretty Horses that Billy Bob Thornton directed. She gave me some scenes to cut. And it was great that I, I like I would I would do the work and I would send it off to her and she would evaluate it and call me and, and tell me this is, uh, I was on location in San Antonio while she was in LA and she would give me her thoughts on on the work that I'd done and and tell me what she had done um, to it and why she why the changes that she had made and why she uh, and why she'd made them um, and it was very inspiring to me it it, it kept me going it it, 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 it it's something that. Now that I'm in the editor's chair, um, I try to do with my assistants um, because I, I think there's no question that it contributed to me getting where I am. Um, in terms of how to break into the business, everybody goes down a different path. Um, I can say without question that I've worked with a lot of people who didn't go to college. So going to film school is not necessarily something that you need to have done. Um, but. Uh, but I found it very helpful because uh, I, I established relationships with my classmates um, that led directly to me finding work. Um, but you know, when I was just first starting out in Los Angeles, um, the way people would try to find work in editorial, um, if they didn't know anyone, literally you, you, there, there would be facilities, there are facilities that are primarily editing houses, 
and you would just, you'd walk around with a stack of resumes and you'd knock on every door and you'd see if, if someone would allow you to talk to them for like 15 minutes and you'd hand a resume and maybe they would end up needing someone at some point down the line and that could lead to work. Sometimes it did. Um, usually, usually, uh, what, ha what happened to me is that I was introduced to one person in this industry, a guy named uh, Bob Layton, who was Rob Reiner's editor. Um, I'd worked with a friend of his when I was in New York, and Bob introduced me to his assistants, and they in turn made some introductions, and, uh, and, and through that I managed to get my first internship. Um, and as luck would have it, one of the people I worked with on that internship got a job working on a movie that was paying and, and she asked me to come aboard and help out as an apprentice editor and that got me into the union. And once I was in the union, I became eligible for a lot more work. Um, and through those same connections, uh, I, I, I was able to land my first union job uh, on the picture Boogie Nights. So, uh, but you know, everyone's path is different. Sure. Last question. Just so, okay. Um, lastly, why editing? When you were in film school, why not be the the DP? Why not why not screenwriting? Why editing? Um, so everyone goes to film school to become, to become a director, um, and I had this realization about midway through my uh, my sophomore year at film school that God, there are a lot of really talented people in my class, and the idea that all of us are going to get directing gigs immediately upon graduation. Um, this is a little ridiculous. So, uh, so perhaps I should focus on a craft um, just in case this directing thing doesn't work out. And, uh, and editing was always my favorite part of the process because I feel it's the, the closest to directing. You are, uh, you're, you're, you're telling the story visually. You are crafting the performances. Um, you, and you're doing it from the comfort of an air-conditioned room. Um, and interestingly enough, at the time when I made the decision, Editing was the, um, the, the part of the process that required the least technical know-how um, because we were, like I learned how to edit on film. Um, we were using a, a Steenbeck, a, a flatbed editing system. Um, all you needed to know was how to thread it up and you could be an editor. Um, being a cinematographer, you had to understand lighting and you had to understand uh, taking, taking uh, light meter readings and film stocks, you had to know all of this stuff. Editing was really just all about the art. Um, and it really appealed to me and I, that's what I focused on and uh, it's been very good to me. <laughs> <laughs>